Um, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to try to get through, we're going to snap through, I think, at least three of our lessons. Do you have any more of these? Sandy doesn't have one. I have paper. I think you're going to print one. I have a pen. Oh, you, can you print more, Michelle? How many, yes, how many do you need for tonight? One, two, three, four. Thank you. Okay. Oh, Michelle She's is awesome. She's going to be equipping the saints. Yeah. <laughs> she equips us all right. But um, in the meantime, you guys could share. Um, and we're just talking about something that's really been on my heart for a long time. And that's kind of the progressive Christianity coming into the church. It's like liberal Christianity from the old days. Remember from church history when liberalism started and started a little bit here and a little bit there. Well, let's change this. What do you think of that? Well, now there's been a resurgence, and it's not so much doctrinally related. If you remember in our history class, it was more they questioned like the uh, authority of the Bible, the inspiration of the Bible. Not that the progressives don't do that, but they have much more contemporary kind of issues that they get at. Um, the miracles, those were the old liberals, but the progressives don't even talk about that stuff. It's much more kind of personal, and they want the church to be very much a... Um, I don't know, I don't, I don't even explain it, um, like a mash unit, just kind of all-encompassing, all-accepting, and understanding the plight without really getting the truth, and so that's really coming into the, to many um, main, well, evangelical churches, and it's raising a lot of red flags, at least it should, right, you know, I'm seeing all these things happening, so that's what we're talking about, and I'm, there was a, a progressive Christian, his name is um, Richard Gully. And he put a book out, and he gave like 10 um, thesis statements, 10 statements on progressive Christianity. Well, an evangelical Christian, Michael Kruger, kind of answered him back. So what we're doing is really taking from Kruger's book and answering Gully's um, objections or his statements. Um, because if you follow Gully, you're definitely going to be very what's called progressive, liberal, and we're going to lose actual biblical Christianity, which is happening very, very much in many churches today. Like churches five years ago, you thought, wow, that's a solid church. Now they're like kind of progressive. They're moving in that direction. Um, so we always want to have our guard up. So this is kind of apologetic in, in, in a way, not just informational. So um, we've already kind of looked at the first two of the, uh, of the statements. And now if you go to page five, and you look under, it's actually Roman numeral four, but it's really the third uh, proposition from God. So let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you. Thank you for bringing us here tonight, Lord. And I just pray that you help us, that you give us wisdom, that you give us discernment and understanding. And Lord, that you would give us a real compassionate courage to stand on the truth um, even if the whole world goes against your word, let, let God be true and every man a liar, Lord. And I just pray that we would have the, the, the willingness, the power of the Spirit to stand strong on your word and on your principles and on your standards. So please help us to, to be discerning, Lord, um, to, to be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, to, to give an answer to kind of push back on what's happening, especially in so many uh, formerly strong churches. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So we're picking up with tonight, and we're going to try to go through, try to do two or three. Um, 
under number four, it's actually the third objection. And the thing is, there's always a little bit of truth, right? There's always a, a different, varies, varying degrees of truth. And so we have to take that into consideration. And, and from a liberal or progressive perspective, that's really what they see. That, you know, they, they see the abuses in the church. They see the cover, covering up in the church. And they're not wrong about some of that. But they're not taking a biblical perspective and saying, you know, as real Christians, here's what we need to do about that, or here's how we handle that. So one of the objections is this, is, is that the work of reconciliation should be valued over making judgments, okay? And every one of these, I keep calling them objections, they're actually propositions. Each one of these has an underlying doctrine or teaching or foundational aspect of the church that it kind of tries to undercut and undermine. We've talked about that in the last the last two that we've looked at. This one is, on your outline, kind of stop judging people. What's a church known for? Being judgmental. judgmental okay? And um, look, man, there is, there is some truth in that. There are churches and there are Christians that could be extraordinarily judgmental. So what we could take positively out of this is, look, we, we, we should not have a judgmental spirit about us, okay? Even if we're in the right. And hopefully we're in the right because, look, here's what Scripture says. But, but we can't, like, lord that over people. So what we really need to, as Christians, work on, because a lot of people will come in and say, man, you guys are just so judgmental. Like, you're just, you know, you're not even trying to understand. You're not even showing any compassion. I think we really need to, as Christians, because that's who we are, show compassion. You know, show understanding um, of, of the person, especially. Always remembering, like, and I always try to keep this in mind, that, that but by the grace of God, you know, my sin, our sin is, we're just right there. We're just like, we're an inch away from deep sin. So we need to always keep that in mind, that we're saved by grace, and that's what he saves people. So we have to understand that. And I also think, as Christians, we need to have a, a, a love for the image bearers of God, no matter how much they hate us, no matter how much they hate God, no matter how much they're doing wrong. There could be righteous indignation. But if people know that you love their soul, I don't know if that sounds weird <laughs> to put it that way, but if they know that you love them and respect them, they may not, they probably still hate us, <laughs> and others, but there'll be something there that, they, they can't come back and say, look, that's what you were like. You were so harsh. They could say, you know, what you said to me, I don't agree with, I don't like, but at least you were fair. At least you cared about me, that kind of thing. And I think we need to strive for that as Christians, right? Don't you think so? Um, we don't want to be harsh. We don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to be too self-assured. We also want to be humble, um, but confident in the Lord. We don't want to be too critical. We want to look through the need, like right, what the people are, are struggling with, and kind of to the heart. This is what I'm taking, like, is, is a positive from what people will say about the church because we came. Oh, that was quick and nice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. For that. So you know, we're on page five. Thank you. Um, Lisa, did you need one? Oh, <laughs> I also have Michelle make one or two extra, just in case. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, um, another thing is, is we can't demand change before you engage with people. We can't demand that people change their ways before we say, hey, I'm going to sit down and talk with you. Like, famously from Scripture, 
that was the case. Do you remember the Pharisees? What did they do when Jesus was eating with the tax collectors? Do you remember where the uh, religious leaders, kind of the, the legalists, the ones that kind of looked down on people and were harsh with people and legalistic with people, where were they when they were having the, the when Jesus was in there with the, with the sinners and tax collectors? Do you remember? Where were they standing? Outside the door. You can say it with confidence. They were standing outside the door. They wouldn't go in. And a lot of times where people are really turned off from Christians is the idea that we're kind of demanding change before we engage with people. And I think that that's something we can learn as Christians. Say, you know what? We need to engage, man. We need to go in and sit down with the sinners and tax collectors, not affirming, engaging, and, you know, embracing, but to speak the truth in love with them. And I think somebody like Francis Schaeffer did a fantastic job with that. If you guys know anything about Francis Schaeffer and Labrie, that's what he did. He was a college student. Some believers, people would come and they would talk and have questions and dialogue. He never compromised the faith, but he always loved the people and had great compassion towards them. So we don't wait till they change. A lot of times we want to say, okay, you change and then I'll talk to you. We can't do that. So, and that way they're right. Now, the other side, if you go to the top of the outline under A, um... Again, reconciliation is best accomplished when we stop making judgments. Um, for progressives, for many, and, and a lot of this, this is kind of generalizing. There's a scale, there's a scope, and all that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, for progressives, the chief sin is not the actual sin that's taking place, but the actual judgment of that particular sin. Right? So they see it as a personal attack, um, and they want acceptance to be embraced and to be affirmed. And if we don't do that as Christians, well, they then they see that as judgmental. You know what I'm saying? Do you, do you understand that at all? Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. And I, I think we've reached a point where it's not even if, if you can not judge, they're not even happy with that because they want you to accept all the craziness that yeah. we've had three accept and affirm and affirm and embrace yeah. that's the mantra now before it used to be just kind of leave us alone and let us do our things you christians over there then you know stop judging us now it's you need to accept and because they're in a position of popularity and, and they're judging us well that's yeah. we'll get into that absolutely <laughs> but see that's very important to see so for the progress now what's bothersome is i expect that from the world of course and i'm going to think that but when it comes in the church, and when you have leaders in the church and pastors in the church and people in the church saying these kinds of things, well, you know, we really can't, you know, that's that's that, that the sin is the sin is your attitude towards these people instead of kind of confronting the actual sin. Now, here's the real problem: you're living disobediently. We're you know we're kind of um, put off from saying that and just kind of you know we're, we're viewed it's viewed as a personal attack if you don't accept or affirm in that way. So you can't tell anybody that they may be wrong or in sin, right? Unless one disagrees with their ideology, and this is what you're getting at, Jim. Progressives, ironically, are so very judgmental when it comes to certain issues. So if you could just think in the past couple of years, how will, the, how will like progressives, even in the church, be judgmental, show their judgmentalism? in certain areas in certain ways. Any ideas? You could think of a few things that they're really dogmatic about that we should be doing. If a good Christian, if you're a good Christian, then you will get 
you love your neighbor, you will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks for all the clues. Yeah. Much appreciated. <laughs> I'm spoon feeding you. Come on, please give me some more. But that—that's the turnaround here, and it's like they're two different. Like for the authentic Christian, it's like we're concerned about what the Bible actually teaches. For the progressives, it's like what the world kind of accepts and they bought into. If you stand against that, you're in trouble. So there's kind of this tension within the church in that way. So we had Christians big time, and you know this, with COVID. Well, should we meet or shouldn't we meet? Should we wear masks or shouldn't we wear masks? Should we you know, get vaxxed or should we not get vaxxed? You're seeing in the church with sexual ethics. It's coming in the churches, and they're saying, you know, look, we need to accept people where they are and not really try to change them, you know, kind of help them along, be accepting of them. But if that's who they are, we need to affirm their authentic self, not necessarily agree with. That's side A, Christianity. I'm having a real B. trouble with all of this. Okay. Because this is why I've had problems with my relationship with my daughter. Well, this is what, this is, this is why. This is, this is it. This is this clearly is why. why. Because you can't say because and I, and you can't say hey you're sinning yes <laughs> thank you well, guess what? I but, go you, there. but we have to go and that's what we have to do I now do again I we have to do it the way i said in the beginning and knowing the holy spirit has to work in people and in their lives but i said it with a smile okay well, there you go then. Well, she should just keep finding it um but you can't the, the thing is you can't tell anybody they're wrong or disagree with them. So we talked about side A, side B, those kinds of things. And another big thing um, that you hear all the time from, from different progressives, and I want to camp on this just a little bit, is this. If, if they're two consenting adults and you're not hurting anybody else, what does it matter what we do? That's our, uh, kind of like a, a trump card for progressives, you know, we're, we're not, we're, we're consenting, there's, we're not hurting anybody, what do you care? That's always a tough one to come back a little bit as Christians, but I think there's some good answers to that. I think number one, if you guys, if you guys want to take a stab at, at something, like how would, how do you respond to that? Because that's a, that's a big one, you know, that's, that's one that's really being used and it's coming into the church, but especially outside the church. Two consenting adults, what do you care? Yeah, but what, what do our kids see, though? They, they yeah. see a couple that's not a normal couple. <laughs> confusing the, you know, four, five, six, up to 12-year-old kids that this is right or wrong. Yeah. You know, they don't know until, until we tell them. Yeah, yeah. That's, you're right on track. You're right down the line. That's um, my first answer. What's that? My first answer is it's disobedient to God. And Sandy said, but they don't believe in God. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Okay. And you're very, that's again, you're warmer, warmer, hot. You know, you're, that's, you get, because you know what, Sandy? The standard is the standard, and God sets the standard for all people. So even people that don't believe in God still have to abide by God's standard. They're still going to be held to account because God made us in his image. He put his law on our hearts, Roman 1, Roman 2. Romans 2, you guys know that from hopefully by now as we've been going through Romans. And so we are accountable to him. He has, without God in that standard, in every area, 
if you don't hold to that, then anything goes. And that's where we're at right now in our society. We're very, uh, it's a humanistic, it's a naturalistic society. Man's at the center. So we are definitely that place where um, there's very little, we're kind of archaic, especially if you're a conservative Christian. Um, but we're living in a modern, postmodern age where we make the rules and we decide what's right. So this whole idea of like if it's not hurting anybody, that's kind of arbitrary. You're just making that up. It seems fair and it seems nice, but what's the standard behind that? Like when it comes to those ethics, you're still God still says here's the here's the standard for morality. Here's the standard for how you need to act in society. So right, you could it's just a different category. So for instance, somebody might say, look. I feel that I need reparations. So I'm going to go into the store and I'm just going to take what I want. And they're doing that. I'm not, this isn't hyperbole, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? No, that's wrong. Well, no, I, it's right, you know. But do you want to say, well, you're hurting? Not, look, that's the same God who said, do not steal, is the same God who said, do not commit adultery, is the same God who said, do not lie. And that applies to all of us, all those categories. So you can't, just say, well, in this area, it's okay. But in this area, you know, I can do because you're hurting somebody, because you're stealing, you're taking what's not yours. But if you're living a life that's immoral, you're still going against what God said is right and moral. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you understand? Makes total sense to me, but okay. I'm archaic. So I know, I know, but this is, yeah. I'm just, yeah, this is, uh, this, and it's, it's hard because they're very, you know, anything, anything kind of, they're, they're relativistic. So it can change very quickly. And it's just whatever seems right to me at that moment. So it could be, this could be right one day, but then the next day it might not be right depending on the circumstances. So you need an actual moral standard. And that's what this is all about. And that's, that's the running theme through all of this is we have to stick to the standard. And when this starts coming in the church, we're in big trouble because we're supposed to be salt and light. So another thing with the... Um, the consenting adult, like how we might answer that, because you're going to have to answer that. People are going to say, we're two consenting adults. We're not hurting you. What do you care? Stay out of our lives. <laughs> Number one is the standard is the standard. God has a standard for all people, whether you like it or not. We're not hurting anyone. I don't know. I mean, it depends. Maybe not physically, but how many people have family members that have been divorced? Mm-hmm. Two consenting adults, we just don't agree. Are you, you haven't been hurt by that, right? No, it hurts a lot. You know, we, we, so there's there's pain there. If you have a, a child or a family member who's in a relationship that's not ordained by God, that hurts. That hurts us. So it's not it's not victims. Another argument is well, what's happening is two consenting adults. Well, they're thinking about changing the age of consent. What's an adult? <laughs> this is serious. This is California, real. California, 12. 14. I heard 14, 14 was the last. It might be 12. <laughs> puberty coming into puberty. But the last I heard is they're trying to get the age of consent lowered to like 16 or 14. Mm-hmm. So what's that mean? You know, the pedophiles are having a field day now because now we're, that's the age of consent. That's kind of arbitrary. So that, that means there are two consenting adults and we shouldn't say anything about that. Let me read you this. I know this is going to be really gross, but it's coming. Is incest between consenting adults wrong or illegal? 
and there's a bunch of answers, and 80% of them are pro-incest. It's not a joke. Oh, ooh. Sorry. <laughs> Consenting adults could do just about anything they want so long as no one is hurt, and they shouldn't worry about the opinion of any other than their own. Wow. It is not it. Is it wrong? No. In medieval times, royal family siblings married to stay blue blood. So think of yourselves as royalty. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> wow! A lot of genetic defects from that. Oh well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, right, it's starting to rear its head here. In yeah, it's it is very much on. That's kind of the next step, and there, there are other things on the horizon. <laughs> That's been going on a long time in West Virginia, man. No, not in West Virginia. He's from West Virginia. Yeah, I used to make fun uh, of the Kentuckians. <laughs> I'm going to Kentucky. That's um, personally, what two consenting adults do in the privacy of their home, on home, is nobody's bleeping business. <laughs> Maybe you should try thinking along those lines. And so there's opinion after opinion saying that. I mean, again, think about if you're a little bit older, 20 years ago. Just think about. Where our society is right now, with the moral ethics, sexual ethics, we would be that. No way, that's not happening. It's happening. It's here. The Burgerfeld, trans, everything that's going on. So where is that? Like that's another answer to this. Two consenting adults not hurting anybody. Well, there's implications there. I mean, um, you know, you're you're kind of getting off track. Um, so th those are the things that kind of you want to think about. And when you're speaking to other people, and remember the standard, the standard. It's so hard to talk to younger people about it because they don't have the life experience. Yeah. And to try to explain that you're hurting yourself in yeah. this, you don't realize it right mm. now. But in the future, you'll look back and be like, well, there's you know long-term relationships and no marriage, and there comes a time from a woman's perspective where it's like, okay, so. Is this like, are we committed or are we not committed? Yeah. Are you know, committed? why, why won't, why aren't we getting married? Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know that it's necessarily more often than what, but I think once kids get involved too, there's a different, yeah. you have a different. And there's no sense of permanence there. There's no sense of like true commitment. Like you could be gone at any time, and and like that that comfort, that protection, that care, I'm giving my life for you. Part of the vows that we take is that that's what we say to each other, you know, life or death, sickness and health. You know, we're going to be through this thick and thin, and that's part of the vows that we take. But I think it really all started when, you know, with easing up on divorce and so forth, and that's kind of when things started going down in the late 60s, early 70s especially, for us in our in our situation. But this is just a consequence. It's just a, We shouldn't be shocked or surprised. We're kind of shocked and surprised, but we shouldn't be. Because this is a natural progression of things. When you lose Christianity, and then um, the, the secularism takes over, but what's for us, we need to remember this is coming into the church, and this is where we need to say no. I mean, even in society, we need to be a voice, but we sh we cannot tolerate it in the church. But you see these kinds of things coming into the church. Don't be so judgmental. And they kind of use that as a blanket statement for not agreeing with a person's sin. So we have to continually, you know, listen. Everybody judges, right? 
It depends on the authority or standard. That's the bottom line. What authority, what standard are we judging by? If it's your own authority, then you can't judge anything at all because that can change. It's arbitrary. It's inconsistent, right? You know what I mean? There has to be an absolute standard. So, And everybody makes judgments. Like Jim said, people judge. The other side judges big time. If you don't go along with them, if you don't go along with their environmental movement, if you don't believe in global warming, you're doomed. Like you're, you know, you might as well... Kill yourself. <laughs> I don't know. Well, might as well come to my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do what you in those areas, you know. So issues with racism, you know, if you're not buying fully into critical race theory, then you're a racist and you're a white privileged and you're a terrible person, then you should just kill yourself. <laughs> you know, all this comes down to this. And so when you see this coming into the church, look, everybody judge. It depends on the on the standard. We need to discern between judgmentalism and righteous judgment, because there is righteous judgment. Um, and plus, people can only be reconciled when, you know, when judgments are made. Somebody's right, somebody's wrong. Somebody needs to repent, somebody needs to forget, those kinds of things. So the church must be gracious under 4, under B, um, and charitable. And we really do, because this stuff is very frustrating, and it's angering, and, and, and you know, there's that, there's that righteous indignation, but we want to... Even the, like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, calling the people back in that way. We want to have that kind of spirit. We want to, we don't want to give people an excuse to say, see, you are judgmental. They can call us judgmental, even if we're not, and that's going to happen. But don't let them be right. You know what I mean? Just, you know, bring out the truth lovingly firmly and convincingly from scripture and let the chips fall. Um, so the church must be... Yeah. Can I say something? No. But <laughs> our end in the church is so different. Our end is to keep you from facing the judgment for what you're doing. Yes. We can't let that slide because we're going back on why we're here. Yes. We are the church. We are the salt and the light. Why are we salt and the light? We don't want to see them go to hell. Yeah. And, and how could we let that slide? That's ultimately the mindset. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, so we don't do it in a judgmental way, right. which can be, you know, just vindictive, hurtful. You know, you're a pig, and unless you change, you're never welcome in my sight again. Type of thing. Or you could say, look, here's where you're heading, man. This is where you're heading. I love you, but here's where you're going. And I'll be here. But even if we can't talk now, even if you're like the prodigal, you're the prodigal. Like me sending them away in that way. But I wrote it down. Not calling out sin is profoundly unbiblical. And then we're not being faithful to our master. But what... Okay, I'll just... You all know my situation. What I get in the way of pushback is God is loving. God isn't like that. I said, then you don't know God. Yes! That's the thing. God is very loving. God is very kind. This is why he has set these standards... And God says, oh, you and your God. I said, no, he's everybody's <laughs> Thank God. Thank you. Oh, you're doing everything you could do. I, I have died to self a billion times in the last four years. And, and I have had these conversations. And they don't want to see all of God Mm-mm. is, is what I way. keep coming up against. Because they're like, oh, well, how do you know there is hell? I said, because God says <laughs> Well, but that's just you. I said, read your Bible. Oh, but that's just that book. No, it's not that book. It's God's standard. He's given us his word, so we'll know. 
And that's, you know what, Sandy? That's what you must okay, do, and so you I'm can doing do it. Right. Yeah. And that's okay. it. Okay. And always try to remember where they're at, like Michelle said, and what our chief end is. You don't want to necessarily have to like be, make it our fault for let them call you whatever they want to call you. I do. Being biblical. Okay. But but we don't want to get to the place where they where where they're kind of right, where we could be hurtful, vindictive. You're not my kid unless you do this. You know, we can't go there. You can't lay the major guilt trips on them. You can't and say that's where all the I've dying done for you. Self comes in. Yes. Because because you, just you go, love okay, them it's so not much. A, and that's a really hard fight. It's a hard fight. I fight with myself more than I fight with them. Hey, I got kids. I, you know, <laughs> and who loves you? We've had all the words too. We've had all the words Yeah, Dad. Cat, money. Which one? Which one does? Which one of us here in this room? I don't know about you guys, but I know you guys. You know, we all have that struggle with that, okay. even that younger generation, and so. You know, we don't turn a blind eye. We, we can't say, because I know too, far too many Christians who say, well, they're happy together, and that's how they want to live their lives, and, you know, we just love them and we're going to accept them. My mother says that. Okay, see? And I have to argue both directions. <laughs> yeah, well, this join is the my club. World. <laughs> okay. Although yours is a more intense, I think, uh, out of... You know, and they're uh, from Kentucky. But you know, but we are a couple and so there's a scriptural grounds for this. So in John seven twenty four, the Lord Jesus says, um, he doesn't say do not judge, but he says use righteous judgment. Okay, use the right and that's the word of God. And that's we always have to come back to the foundation of scripture. Because whether they want to understand it, believe it or not, they are they are under the authority of scripture. So that's what we always do come back to. Um, so in Matthew, I will go read this, chapter 7. What time is it, man? Cause 7.35. We're still on number one. <laughs> I want to do three tonight. But we're almost done with number one. We're, we're just about done with one. Um, we'll definitely get to maybe three. So Matthew, uh, chapter 7. You guys, these are very familiar verses to most of you here. Jesus, and this is a favorite line of progressives. Right? And that's another thing about progressives. They'll pick and choose scripture passages. Not within the larger context, not within the context of scripture. So we're not only sola scriptura, the Bible's the authority, the chief authority. We're also tota scriptura, all of scripture. So you take it all into account and you have to read it in context. Because people love to read this, judge not lest you be judged. Oh, yeah. How many times have you heard that? Mm. Don't judge me. You're going to be unless you be judged. But then Jesus goes on to say, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged with. In the measure you use, it will be measured on you. So he's not saying, look, how you judge is important. We talked about how we shouldn't pass judgment, but there's a way to do that, to pass righteous judgment. And that's through the word of God. It's not our standard. It's not something we think, well, it just seems right to us. It seems fair. It's actually what God commands and teaches. So we have to be be firm in that way. So he says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there's a log in your in your own eye? This is what I was talking about before. Our own spirit needs to be very, we need to be very much aware of that. Are we doing it to be vindictive, hurtful, just put them in their place, or are we approaching them in love? And with that real warning, like, like Michelle said, that was really good. Um, so take the log out of your own eye so you can clearly see the speck in your brother's eyes. So, and then we'll just leave Zechariah there for you guys to look up. So that's that's another, that's a real popular, and it's in, not, uh, of course, in society, but 
when when the culture when the church starts mirroring the culture you know you're in big trouble and so we've been in big trouble because like michelle said we're to be salt and light we're to be that clear difference you know blonde brunette so there's a clear choice um miller like bud like giant eagle shop and save coke pepsi ford chevy there should be a clear distinction all right this is who we are and and when you start muddling that that's where you get into trouble you start compromising it's not good for anybody it doesn't honor god it's not good for you and it doesn't help that other person i have a question for you so so why are the the churches especially some of the major denominations of protestants why are they going down this path that's a really good question they, I think they've been seduced by the culture. They've stopped believing. You know, a lot of it is is money. Just they they stop believing in what the Bible actually teaches. They'll emphasize certain teachings. And what a lot of liberal churches have done, Jim, in the past, that they haven't. And this is the next thing. They don't concentrate or focus on the doctrine, but kind of focus on the the social issues. Mm. So they're wonderful at handing out clothes and food and so forth. But they're not going to at the same time give a track and say, you know, apart from Jesus, you're going to hell. Not like that, but you know, it's it's much more social consciousness. It's more um, that Jesus set an example for us, right? We need to be. He's the loving one. He's the caring one. That heaven and hell stuff, you know, that'll work itself out. I think most people will go to heaven and. Jesus dying on the cross was a wonderful example for all of us how we should die to self and be, you know, that's the liberal take because they, they, because we live in a scientific age or so-called modern age, these things that were believed in the past like miracles that couldn't take place, a substitutionary atonement, how can one man death on the cross have anything to do with me 2,000 years ago to now? What's that even mean? Uh, the virgin birth, those kinds of things they started seeing as, like Thomas Jefferson. You've heard of the Jefferson Bible, haven't you? What he did is he took the Bible and he cut out with scissors every miraculous, I had to cut a lot out, <laughs> uh, <laughs> miracle of Christ, anything supernatural. And what was left, he said, that's, that's, that's what we need. This is the kind of the Sermon on the Mount kind of life, that's what we need. We're at a rational age, scientific age, um, enlightened age. We don't have time for that. So that's really how it started. And it just progressed from there. So once that goes, if you lose the authority of Scripture in that way, then that kind of opens the door up to, to anything. And I know it's like, why are you even being a church? Why are you even opening your doors if you don't even believe this? Well, they have a version that they believe. I Everybody watch. interprets for themselves. They do. They do. And, and you should watch. There's a, a station that has all kinds, it just has one church service after another, and they have different kinds of churches, and they have liberal churches, and you'll hear these ministers, and they'll use the language, but it's filled with different meanings. So they'll talk about the um, resurrection of Christ, but it wasn't a literal resurrection, but a spiritual resurrection that we all can attain to, that kind of thing. But that's why, Jim. And then a lot of it is tradition, money, this is what they do. They This is, this is the gospel to them, is people helping people, accepting people. So go down, drive in shady side. All the churches have the gay pride flag, everybody's welcome here type of thing. So they've long ago abandoned the faith. So number two, and this kind of will talk a little bit to what we were saying here. And, and, and all these have a tie-in. They're all kind of related. Uh, gracious behavior is more important than right belief. And this is kind of where you get into trouble again. So what this does, this kind of thinking, and what Gully's saying here, is it downplays sound doctrine 
right? The, the teaching of scripture. So from that perspective, they'll say, what truly matters is not so much what we believe, but especially how we behave. It's very um, this life-centered kind of thing. So it's, it's more like, you know what? You could believe that pie-in-the-sky stuff. We're going to go out and help the poor. We're going to go out and feed the hungry. We're going to let people come in you know, through the gates because they're, they, they need a place to live. We're going to accept people because that's who they are, that type of thing. Um, there's a willingness to compromise the truth of God's word in order to demonstrate love and compassion. How many of you heard love is love? <laughs> <laughs> How many of you driven by churches and seen on the sign love is love? Go drive through Mount Lebanon. You know, you'll see churches there that kind of have it. Follow your heart. Follow your feelings. Um, again, I'll say it again. Love thy neighbor. How many times has that been used? You know, over the past couple of years. If you really loved and cared for your neighbor, then you would do this. And if you don't, you're not showing. You're supposed to be a Christian. Why wouldn't you mask up if there's like a zero point zero percent chance of you catching it like you know the mass trend yeah those kinds of things so you can't have a, a logical argument you could argue both sides and that's fine let's do that but let's have both sides being able to speak and that's what the progressives they will not listen to your side that's a big that's deal that's not very loving of course, but that's that you don't get to define love, they do. <laughs> and that's what's so frustrating. That's why you want to pull your hair out because, you know, it's you, they're the authorities. Well, the science says and the doctor says you must do this and you must do that. Science tells us, doctors say, you know, kids as young as this age, kids in the womb know that they're transgender. Those kinds of oh, things. That's coming out. Yeah. <laughs> this is... This is why we're doing this, because it's right in front of us. And I want to encourage you to stay strong. But, again, and I don't mind the arguments, but let both sides argue the case. Well, even let science, except for when it comes to conception, right? Yeah. Hmm. Well, you see the signs. I believe yeah. in science. I believe the tissue that, right. that yeah. thinks it's one. I believe in this. I believe in that. Go down to the abortion clinic and talk to them about the biology of kids and, and conception. And they, and they all of a sudden don't believe in science anymore. Right. It's a woman's body. And sure, that's so funny because they're allowed to be inconsistent because that's what they are. Yeah. We have to stick to the truth. And, you know, that, that makes it hard sometimes because we have to be consistent. They can go any way they want. And if you don't agree with them at that moment, at that particular issue... That's why it's important to have sound doctrine. So even though um, I heard this, check this out, the student loan forgiveness. Uh, yeah. You know why it's right? Because Jesus... I know it's not right. I know it's not right. We know it's not right. But okay. in the world's eyes, and in some okay. people's eyes, in progressive churches. Oh, play along. Okay. Play along. Okay. Humor me. Okay, sorry. I heard this because Jesus has forgiven our debts. Why shouldn't we forgive our debtors? They are using that for loan forgiveness. Jesus forgave our debt. But you see, they'll pick and choose. And you Christians aren't forgiving because if you really were forgiving, you would forgive the student loan debts. It's it's almost like, how can you even argue this? It, doesn't, it, it goes beyond reason, let alone twisting scripture. Um, so yes, that's not the context that Jesus was talking about. He's talking about our sin debts. He's talking about the sins that we commit, not our physical debts. We we have to pay them. We have, actually, and here's the ironic thing or the truth: if you don't pay your debts, what are you doing? What have you done? What do you become? Think of the commandments. 
thou shalt not. You're a thief. You're, you're, a thief. you're stealing because you are, you made an obligation. You took those out. You took the responsibility. If you don't pay those back, then you are stealing well, from no, the people. Well, no, I don't want to. I just don't want to pay them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the banks aren't going to sit around and say, oh, well, you know. Well, they are the now. <laughs> they're saying that. They're, they're doing that. That's what's so scary is they're letting people off like that. Um, so, I mean, and there's dilemmas there for us. So what if my kids, what if they come around and say, we're going to cancel your debt? What should we do with that? It's say. difficult, I think, as a young person, if you've got tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt, not to get excited about the idea of some of that yeah. disappearing, even though it's it feels wrong, and it is wrong. It is wrong. absolutely wrong, but there's but, still that. But when it's there, hey, it's legal, you can do it, but it doesn't always right, because then you have to, before the Lord, as Christians, are we being consistent? Even though it's the law of the land, I know that I made that agreement to pay back this this loan that I had so I can go to school or buy my house or whatever you take your loans out for, we have an obligation. Otherwise, that is a lack of integrity. That's stealing, for sure. You know, you can go down the list. It's just, and it's, that's how society deteriorates. You're not living up to your responsibilities. So that's, but that's out there for sure. And that's an argument that's used in progressive churches. Again, I love thy neighbor. That whole idea of love thy neighbor, listen, that loving your neighbor really flows. It's not a blanket acceptance of what they want you to do. <laughs> the love of your neighbor flows from the first great commandment, which is what? You shall love the, the Lord your God. Yes. Yeah, everybody comes and forgets that, especially if you're talking to, to the little, they don't love thy neighbor, do this for that. But that love thy neighbor flows from loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you're going to do his will. Right? If I love God, I want to know what he wants me to do, how I'm to live, what is love, what that looks like, and how that's applied. It comes from his word. That's that's where it flows from. It's not just this arbitrary thing, oh, love your neighbor, and then the next second, though, again, there's, there's, there's always a turnaround with that. <laughs> but loving God is keeping his standards and keeping his word. And that from that flows teaches us how we're to love our neighbors. You know, is it good just to, to have a welfare system where you're just giving money and giving money, encouraging people to have uh, women to have more babies because they're going to get money that way? Is that love? Is that the Christian way? You know, do we assist? Yes, but it's always within the boundaries and parameters of Scripture. That's our that's our standard in God all the time. That's how we really love people. Um, so the biblical perspective. Well, let me see. Oh. Let me, let me just say this. Progressives, they do have a dogma. They have deeply held beliefs. You know this. And if you don't buy into them, you don't find them very gracious. You don't find them very understanding. You don't find them... Uh, you know, there's a lot of con condescension and condemnation, and they will not compromise their beliefs. So remember, you're in a battle here. It's not just you know, that there are these free things. They have what they believe. And they are not going to give that up. They just assume that. We have the truth and we need to assume that as well. So, biblical perspective is truly gracious behavior finds its source in doctrine. It really does. So, in Ephesians and Colossians, if you just if you have your Bible, you could turn to Colossians chapter uh, 2.
so um, we talk about sound doctrine. The whole first first two chapters, one and a half chapters, deals with the nature of Christ, his preeminence, who he is, his preexistence, who Jesus is. And then he goes on to say this. This is how that, that flows and what it looks like. Um, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built it up, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deception, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. He's the standard. For in him the fullness of deity dwells, and, you've been, and you have been filled in him, who is the head and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him and raised up by the powerful working in him. And then I want to go to um, chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 3, he says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden in Christ with God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these things you once walked, and you lived in them. But you must now put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you put off the old self with its practices, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator, of its creator. And then he just goes on to talk about as holy and chosen one, this is what we're to put on. So this this whole idea of like that doctrine teaches us how we're to live. Right? Because of who Christ is, because of who we're in who we are in Jesus, if we're truly Christians, then this is what our life is gonna look like. That's what it looks like, that's where it flows from. Um, Titus continually talks about teach sound doctrine. That's a big, big um, um, fault liability in the church is they fail to teach sound doctrine. We've been too busy entertaining our people, making them have fun in church, making them enjoy, making you know, kind of marketing the church, and not getting down and teaching the actual doctrines that need to be understood from which flows life. Now, if you just have doctrine and you're just heady about your doctrine, that's not good. That's dead orthodoxy. When you understand the doctrine, when you understand who you are in Christ, what Jesus has done for you, when you know that you're undeserving, that he chose us, that he died for us, and what he's done for us, that teaches us how to live then, like this. I could put that off, put on this. So we tell other Christians, look, here's what the Bible says. No immorality. We can't, that's not who we are. Why are you insisting that it's okay? So I think good theology consistently applied shows itself in gracious behavior because it honors and obeys God, objective truth, and the unchanging standard. So that's why, as Christians, part of that is even when our enemies who hate us, who disagree with us, who are so dogmatic, that are dogmatic about towards us, what do we, how do we look towards them? How do we approach them? Like, what do we think of them? Just in the same way. Okay, scumbag, if you don't love me, forget you. You're done for. What are we told, what are we commanded to do in regards to our enemies? Turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. We're to pray for them and love them. That's what Jesus said. That you give them a cold glass of water when they come to you. 
that the Lord might use that to bring conviction to them. You don't treat them the same way that they treat you. We're done with doing that. We used to do that before we were Christians, right? You should be okay, then forget you. <laughs> we can't do that. We have to continue to love and pray for enemies, you know, or you know, that the Lord will change them and you know, change their hearts in that way. So that the question to ask, um, or number three, we must always be gracious and kind, caring and compassionate, but at the same time, never compromising the truth for the sake of love or loving thy neighbor as thyself. What did Jesus say? That he came to bring a sword. Remember in Matthew 10? Mm-hmm. What's the gospel do? Does it always bring families together? Nope, it divides. It will divide because our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. And when we're all loyal to Jesus Christ, then you have unity. But even within a household, our first priority is Christ. My wife knows, my kids know who I love more than them. All right, they know that I love Christ first. And because of that, that's true. I could love them better, right? Um, but that's that's the way it goes. But if, we, if we're loving Christ and you have somebody who's not loving Christ, that's where the division comes in. Because we can't say, well, I, I love Jesus, but you know what? What the heck? I love you, and it's okay with how you're living. No, resist that. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to do because we love our kids so much. We don't want to see them. And we, we can easily fool ourselves. You know, we've all, we've all done that, kind of rationalize and this, that, and the other thing. Um, it, is it more gracious to affirm people in a lie or tell them the truth? Tell them the truth, I think. Yeah. I, I say, you know, we there are some people that are loving their loved ones straight to hell. We're loving them straight to hell because we're not telling them the truth. And that's why it's hard and it's worth it to do that. What time have we got here? <laughs> one more to go. Okay, we can do this. We can do this fast the third one real quick. I, since we didn't have a class last week, I really, and we're not here next week. We're on vacation. I'm going to be down in Kentucky. So. Speaking of Kentucky, we're going to the Ark. Yeah. Yeah. Laura and I. Are you guys coming? Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the Ark's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Road trip. Road trip. It was awesome. So, um, so that so no class next week, but we'll we'll come back and yeah I think we should get through this at least by the end of this by the end of this term. Okay, inviting questions and this is another one. It's very popular in today's society. It kind of fits in with the relativism, the humanism. Inviting questions is more valuable than supplying answers. Um, the idea that there could be no certainty. So what does this kind of chop away at? Like if you think of an axe, like. Um, in terms of, of the truth. Truth, yeah. yeah. It's like truth. It chops away at the truth. It chops away. It kind of says there's no objective truth. Who can know the truth? As Christians, we say, yes, we can. We have objective truth. We have the standard. Stick by your wingman. Never leave your wingman because the temptations are easy to do that. So this is what this, this um, proposition really is kind of getting at. And you know what, guys? There's like a nobility in this, this day and age of not knowing, of not being sure of anything. And it's kind of, Well, you then know. you have to commit to what you actually believe in. <laughs> Which you can change. But if <laughs> you're wishy-washy, then you can love your neighbor. Yeah, you can agree you, with everybody. <laughs> yeah, you can be open. Like I said, okay. no, there's, a, there's, a, there's a nobility in not knowing this these days. Like you can't say this is a fact, is a fact, is a fact. And you know where that's leading? You have... 
Leela can tell you this. Leela, some of your um, kids, what's two plus two in the public school? No way. What did they tell you to say? Just tell them real quick. One is they like give the wrong answer. You want to encourage them because they're thinking independently and you don't want to discourage them from learning. And so you kind of guide them, but you don't want to harshly correct them. I see what you were trying there. That's a really good idea. That's a great guess. No, you're wrong. <laughs> Thank you. You have two apples. It's my daughter. No, I'm keeping her. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but that's but that's exactly right, and that's what's going on in the Pittsburgh public schools. That's why she's not in the Pittsburgh public schools because good. she can't do that. She can't go down that road she will not and so but that's kind of the idea there's this there's this nobility in being unsure progressives want to say that we can't be certain about most things so that's why they get the reliability of scriptures and that's a big deal um i think next time go ahead. but they're so adamant that the world is 4.6 billion years old. Enjoy the ark, is all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> had this conversation they, this afternoon. They oh. say that we can't be... So, so there's a big deal now coming in, and it's uh, really from a, uh, an apostate Christian. His name is Bart Ehrman. This has been many years, probably the last 10 or 15 years. And he's a biblical critical scholar. I mean, he was an amazing scholar and he's really good, but he's now denied the faith. And so he's telling everybody, saying like, you really can't trust the Bible because we don't have the originals, but we don't have the we don't have copies of the originals. We don't have copies of the copies of copies of the originals, you know, we're down the line. And so that's taking uh, people, that's uh, causing a lot of doubt. And we'll deal with that because I think next time I might change up, we might do Christianity just 101, like a, a in-depth introduction into Christianity because we have some new people in our church and I just think it's always good to do that. But anyway, we'll talk more about that. But, um, you know, so things like <clears throat> hell, <laughs> is there a hell? How, how could there be a hell? How could a good God ever send anybody to burn in hell? Why are, why are these terrible things happening? How could a good God deny people who are in love even if they're same sex, even if they're trans, even if they're this, even if they're that, if he's a God of love, these are, you, I'm sure you've kind of heard some of these things. Uh, even women's role in the church, you know, why can't a woman be a preacher or a teacher, you know, uh, leading a congregation as a shepherd, as a pastor? These, these are all kinds of things that are kind of under the progressive umbrella. So there's an uncertainty. Listen, and here's what it does. The uncertainty allows you to deny the truth while, quote, trying to find the truth. I think underneath it's just real rebellion. They don't really want to know. <laughs> like you're not really open to learning. They want to do what they want to do. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You're not sure. So like you'll say, we're not sure if that was a cultural construct or a command from God. You know, that's male headship and those kinds of things. Um, prohibitions against like immorality. Like you know, even even in Leviticus 18 and stuff, they'll say, okay, here's what it says you can't do. All these prohibitions against morality. But how do we know? Because just a chapter before that, there's prohibitions against people using two different kinds of yarn. You couldn't do that. Or eating shellfish. You couldn't do that. So how come these ones matter, but those ones don't? Why am I allowed to eat shellfish if that's a command? And that's a tricky question that progressive use. There's a real easy answer to that. It's just, you know, God has in his law, he has different aspects of his law. The first aspect was towards his people, the ceremonial law. So he wanted them to be distinct from the neighbors, and this is clearly spelled out in scripture. 
that they were to be different, they were to be a light, and so there were certain things ceremonially, ceremonially that they had to do or couldn't do. So that was meant to separate them. But there are other laws that apply to all people. So the Levitical code, you know, you can't sleep with your grandma or your sister or your aunt or with a male, a lion is a male, or with an animal, all those things. How come that applies? Because that applies to all nations everywhere. That's why God was driving out the Canaanites for the Israelites because they were practicing those specific things. So his moral law does apply. It's a little little complicated. I didn't mean to go off on that <clears throat> thing. But but these are the kinds of things that you're going to hear. People are going to bring up these kinds of objections. Um, how can you just, you know, di- distinguish in between those things? But anyway, that's um, that's that's kind of this this idea of hey, I'm, I'm I'm trying to find the truth. I know the truth is in there somewhere. And I'm just searching. But in the meantime, they're kind of living the way they want to, obeying selective obedience, you know, what they think they should obey and that kind of thing. Um, and they position conservatives as, you know, you're too sure, you're just so dogmatic, you're so rigid, and you're so closed-minded, and you're so arrogant. <laughs> Raise your hand if you were in that category at one time or another, by your own kids or and, by somebody and you extreme, love. extremists as well. Uh, extremists. That's their... That's their Extremists. We are extremists. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like this whole Christian nationalist thing is like just driving me kind of crazy. I think I guess I'm one because I believe that God is sovereign over all things and all spheres. You know, like he he's, he's well, they painted nationalism as a bad thing. Yeah, but not, it's not. It's okay. Well, no, that's but that wasn't necessarily a nation. That was a bunch of crazy people. What?
that's that's it's kind of the idea. But it kind of gets back to 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 this idea of like you know not being sure even as a Christian, you know, is it okay to vote this way? You know, is it okay to vote for people who um, just let anything go or for wide open immigration, abortion till after birth, you know, whatever they want. Is it okay to do that as a Christian? Um, there's, there's, a, there's a dialogue in the churches in, in regards to that, some churches. So, um, again, biblical perspective, where to be, and where we are to invite all honest, sincere questions and take, and take them seriously. That's one of the things, one of the complaints that you hear from people that's sometimes true. But you Christian just blow it off, or you give just a basic, real easy answer. You're not willing to go deeper and talk about these things from a real, you know, biblical perspective or you know, from a different perspective or whatever in that way. You just kind of blow us off. We don't want to do that. We should invite all sincere questions and answer them to the best of our ability, biblically and honestly. Um, don't Jesus never turned anybody away like that. He never said, I'm not going to listen to your question. He always took on the questions. He invited the questions. We have nothing to be afraid of if we have the truth. Um, we're not equally certain about all things regarding the faith, and that's true, but we are certain that the scriptures contain the answer, even if we don't fully understand. So we might not, there are some things in the Bible we easily understand, we got it, we got this, very crystal clear. There are other things that aren't so clear, but we know that it's not the Bible, it's we need to understand the Bible better. The answers are there, we need to do a better job at understanding instead of saying, well, you know, that just seems inconsistent to me, so it must not be true. You know, I can't, I can't really believe that. I can't really believe that God would do this. How could he do that? When you could read in scripture, this is what he did. Even though we don't know why, you know, all the time. Why did he do this? There are mysteries. There really are. And that's sometimes, and that's, and I think a lot of this does come down, and it's not a satisfying answer. So sometimes when you talk about evil, if God is so good, if God is all good, why does he allow evil? If he's all powerful, why does he stop evil? And you could tell them why the Bible teaches that, and it's you know for His glory. And in the end, you know He has. I think the the final premise to that is He has a good reason for that. Even the evil that He allows, we just don't know it all the time. You could point to some biblical examples like Joseph and his brothers. They were very evil towards him, but it turned out for good. You could point to the crucifixion of Christ. People were evil, and they plotted, and they schemed, and they did it. But all along, it was God's plan. You know, and he used that for good. But a lot of times you're not going to be able to answer in this life why that happened. But we do know that God has a purpose behind it. Otherwise, it's just purposeless evil, and there's nothing there. So it gets really tough sometimes, you know, because they can get really down, like, you know, if they raped a little kid, how could God allow that type of thing? So, um, you know, we want, to, we want to be serious and take it serious and answer the best to our ability, but understand that we're not going to have all the answers. And the basis for our certainty is God's word, always. It's 2 Timothy 3, uh, 2 Peter 1. It's God-breathed. It's his inspired word. It's a matter of believing the truth contained in the scripture. And that's where we come from as, as Christians. And you can see that truth um, in the world, ultimately. Like, you know, it doesn't... You, you really can't make sense of anything in the end apart from God and his word and his standard. Like, you have to... For morality logic, reason, like where do these things come from, you know, all these things ultimately rest on a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, um, everywhere present, that he is who he 
reveals himself to be in scripture. So that's um, that's kind of what I have for tonight. Any questions on that? So it's not we don't want to ask questions. We don't want to ever cut people off. But we'll see next week. Some people just ask questions to ask questions. They're they're not. They just don't like authority. So like next week, encouraging personal search is more important than group unity. And that's kind of next week's thing where they kind of undermine the church. Like you know, question a lot in the church. But anyway, in two weeks we'll do that. But I hope you found this helpful. I think there are some good talking points and, and hopefully some you know, some things you guys could be thinking about in your minds, how you would answer this, what you would say to this, um, knowing that it's out there, and not only out there, but it's coming into the church too. And so we need to be be ready to do that. Questions, comments? What time is it? I go over. 809. All right, we're good. Okay. I think it's 8.15 is our real like, final finishing time, but anyway. <laughs> Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you. Thank you for everybody here just taking the time to come out this evening, Lord. And I just pray that this was instructive. I hope that it was helpful and useful. It's, these are the things that we are not um, unaware of. We see them in our midst, Lord. But I just pray that as we see them, that we would respond biblically with all grace, with all compassion and caring, but without compromise. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help equip us to stand up to the criticisms that are coming into the church that have found their way um, amongst us, Lord God, and that, that we would be resolved to honoring you, to glorifying you, to bringing forth and holding to your standard, your truth, which honors and glorifies you and is truly, truly good for all people, even though they may not see it or even understand it. So we do thank you and praise you. I pray that you would see us safely to our homes. Uh, be with our families apart from us. In Jesus' name.